from the American Tobacco Historic District in downtown Durham, this is Due South on WUNC. I'm Leonida Inge. You know, it's the beginning of a new year and the time many of us try to figure out which desperate change we want to make in our lives for the better. Better health tops a lot of lists. Well, I'll just put it out there. We want to lose weight. A podcast getting a lot of attention these days is called Wait For It, hosted by Ronald Young Jr. of Arlington, Virginia. It's a narrative show for people who can't stop thinking about their weight. What's new about this revealing and emotional podcast is a black man is the host and main character, and he's not holding back. I sit in a lot of movie theater seats, and I have been very comfortable, and I have been very uncomfortable. And I can tell you right now, if I could standardize that experience for myself, I would do it. But first, we speak with Dr. Nia Schwan Mitchell. She's a medical weight management specialist at Duke Lifestyle and Weight Management Center in Durham, North Carolina, and an associate professor of general internal medicine at the Duke University School of Medicine. Dr. Mitchell, welcome to Do South. Thank you for having me. You know, do you find an influx of calls coming into your office this time of year? You know, people trying to start the year off right, you know, setting a big goal to lose weight, maybe even an unrealistic goal. But before you answer that question, I just want you to know I've heard that you are book solid, that people have been trying to get in to see you. So are you even accepting patients? So I have a lot of questions for you right now. Okay, which one would you like me to take first? Start with all the calls coming in and why you're so book solid. <laughs> well, um, absolutely. Everyone at the beginning of the year has New Year's resolutions. I have my own New Year's resolutions. Um, but the reason I'm so book solid is because my primary job is actually research. I primarily study weight management for underserved populations. So I'm really only at the Lifestyle and Weight Management Center one half day per week. So that's why it seems like people can okay. get in to see me. Okay. Well, tell me a little bit about... Um, that research. But, you know, because when I think for women, you know, whose relationships to weight and size have changed in middle age, you know, how can we keep a positive outlook and attitude about our changing bodies? And I, I assume you deal with some of that in your research. Absolutely. So my research is um, with older African-American women, primarily. Um, and the reason for that is um, African-American women are more likely to um, have higher uh, body mass indices and have, have the comorbidities that are associated with excess weight. And so I believe that, you know, it is important that I study uh, this population to help them out. Well, I guess to kind of help me out, I'm a black woman of size, and I find that stress greatly contributes to, you know, really how and when I eat. And I guess I'd like to know kind of what advice could you give me and others about how to reduce kind of that stress-related and those food cravings? So, like, it's such a complicated situation. Um, when I see patients in my office, you know, the first thing we go is over is their weight history. Like, when did you first notice that you were starting to gain weight? Because for some people, it was right after high school, you know, they gained that freshman 15 if they went to college. Um, for some people, it's after pregnancies. And for some people, it's with uh, menopause. And so it's different for all people. And so you have to sort of find out when did they start and then start to talk about like, well, what was going on then? And then you find out, well, 
how many, like, have you been successful weight loss in the past? Was there a time when you might have lost weight and done really well and then sort of, you know, fell off the wagon? And how can we, like, use your experience to get you back on track? So do Black women really face unique stressors that contribute to our weight gain? Um, you know, I, I, it, it's, that's hard to say. I think that we all have stressors. I, you know, I see all sorts of people in my, in my office and it is amazing to me, um, the amount of trauma that people have been through and how that really can contribute, um, to their weight story. And so I think that, um, certainly people who, black women who've uh, experienced trauma seem to have that more, but that's all people who've experienced trauma as well. Um, and so I think one of the issues is that when we talk about, like, the stress, there's a stress hor hormone called cortisol, right? And if you've ever been on prednisone or known anyone who's had to be on prednisone, it's kind of similar to that. So when people are on prednisone, it causes them to eat more and, and causes them to retain water, and so they gain weight on that. And so you can imagine that the theory is that with cortisol, you get the same uh, type of response, and that's a stress response. Stress. You know, you served as a principal investigator on a research project related to older black women, I guess specifically in weight management. Can you tell me more about that project and some of those findings? Sure. So I've done a couple of um, studies with that. Um, back uh, when I used to be in a, a different institution, um, it was older African-American women, and they were aged uh, 50 and up. And, you know, as I get older, I'm amazed that 50 is considered 50 is older. Considered older yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, the average, actually the average age in that study um, was really about 70. And we had 48 women who joined the study. And on average, they only lost about 3% of their weight. But then we had, like, our biggest loser in that study who was, you know, in her 80s and lost... 20% of her weight at it one year. How? Why? I know. <laughs> it was really surprising that I thought, you know, the older people got, the harder it would be for them to lose weight. Um, but I've also done um, other studies um, of databases, and it showed that actually older people are more likely to lose weight, um, which was counterintuitive to me because I thought, well, if they're older, they have bad habits that they've had for a longer period of time and it's harder to get rid of them. But I think in this case, um, some people, if they're older, they actually have the, the medical problems that are associated with excess weight. And so they're like, I need to do something about this weight. And they also don't have the competing um, priorities of raising kids anymore. Now they can concentrate on themselves and work on their own weight loss. And so, uh, and so, like, she was in her 80s and lost 20% of her weight. It was amazing. Well, like I said earlier, you know, I'm a black woman, you're a black woman, but why did you focus on this group in that research? Because it's important. I've seen it, you know, not only within my own family, but within my own community. And I'm like, this is a group that needs my help, and this is a group that can relate to me. Because I think a lot of people think that, oh, well, you know, weight loss is for, you know, weight loss is for those other people. And I'm like, no, it can be for you as well. And we just have to like work, find a, a situation that works well for you. You know, how important it makes me think of support systems um, when we think of weight loss. So how important is like family and friends and community support really in maintaining, you know, this healthy approach to diet, you know, and weight loss? Um, they're absolutely critical. So one of the problems, um, as I'm sure you know, is like, it's sort of if you are hanging out with people who are eating in a healthy way, then you will continue to eat in a healthy way. But if people are like, oh, you can have that cake or you can have whatever, then I just sort of brought German thing. chocolate cake to no, the office. 
Well, because I, I went home to Mobile, Alabama mm-hmm. for the holidays, and my cousin, a man, he's the cake baker in our family. You know, he's in his 60s, mm-hmm. but he, he bakes the cakes. And I was like, Charles, I'd like to take a cake back home with me to Durham, North Carolina. And, of course, so I won't eat it. I brought it to the office. And none of these jokers would eat that cake. It's just like sitting there. I guess they're all on a making sure they start the year off right. <laughs> so you were being generous. I was with being it? generous mm-hmm. and holiday-ish, right? And all of that. I understand. So in this case, I'm sure they, you know, they may some people may have appreciated the cake, but if they are trying to do their, you know, stick to their New Year's resolutions, you are the enemy today. Correct. I know. And you did that to protect yourself. Yes. <laughs> so when I think of, um, you know, some of, when I think of society and culture, you know, those barriers, you know, and is that being overlooked in the discourse about weight? You know, like maybe, you know, as a black woman, oh, she carries her the weight better or she's probably not as in as much trouble health-wise as we think because she doesn't look like it. So I think culturally, um, African-American women tend to be open to heavier weights than maybe general population. But there's a reason that I'm book solid. And I would say most of my patients tend to be African-American women. And so it's not that African-American women aren't interested in weight loss. They are. Um, it's they, they, I think, have struggled to find people to whom they can relate and um, have tried in the past and failed and sometimes get disheartened. But no, I don't think we should, because society should look at African Americans and think, oh, they're heavy, they're fine. Um, But I also think that society should also understand that um, we're all different and that there's no one size fits all and that, you know, healthy can look different for a lot of different people. Well, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you, some advice that you'd like to give women like me this new year? One of the things I think is important is that, you know, you do find a support group. Um, I actually work with an organization called Take Off Pound Sensibly, or TOPS. It is a nonprofit organization. They do not pay me. Um, But they are a a weight management support group that um, is low cost uh, compared to the other commercial programs out there. And you can always go and find find an organization close to you. But the, the reason I think that's important is because even when people come to see me in my clinic, they can see me maybe every six to eight weeks, but they need to be engaged in the weight management process every day. And so they can do that by joining a support group that helps them uh, focus on that uh, weekly. Well, Dr. Nia Schwan Mitchell is a medical weight management specialist at Duke Lifestyle and Weight Management Center in Durham, and she's a principal investigator on a research project related to older black women and weight management. Man, it was great talking to you. It was awesome talking to you as well. Thank you. Coming up. Ronald Young Jr. and his podcast, Wait For It, revealing stories of being overweight and a black man. I still think about uh, wanting to be smaller, and I have to kind of interrogate why I feel that way. You're listening to Do South. This is Due South. I'm Leonida Inge. 
Wait For It is a show about the way we feel about our bodies. Consequently, each episode may include references to gaining and losing weight, eating disorders, weight loss surgery, and weight stigma. If these topics are triggering to you, please take care while listening. Ronald Young Jr. is the host of a podcast called Wait For It. That's W-E-I-G-H-T. It's on a lot of best of lists of 2023, and I'm sure it will also be a hit this year. It's not a true crime podcast or a chat show. It's deeply reported and produced narrative stories sharing the nuanced thoughts of fat folks and all folks who think about their weight all the time. I can't remember a time when I wasn't thinking about my weight. I was a kid with a huge appetite, and I remember the other kids and some adults would always say, you keep eating like that, you're going to get fat. I remember in middle school PE, whenever we had to play basketball, and the coach would yell out, shirts for skins. I immediately hoped to be on the shirt team. Even in college, I remember my friends used to pinch my nipples and then laugh when I would get upset. And at any of these individual times, I was objectively not fat. But with every incident that occurred with my body, it firmly put weight in the forefront of my mind. I wasn't always certain what it was to have a good body or even an okay body, or most of all, how to be okay with my body. I dreamed of having the ideal physical qualities. Muscular arms, I wanted to be tall, I wanted a beard, I wanted abs. I didn't want to be afraid of taking my shirt off. I wanted to be attractive. But I knew that being fat wasn't attractive. So I didn't want to be fat. However, one day, I got fat. Well, Ronald Young Jr., welcome to Do South. Hey, you know, I like the name of your podcast, Wait For It. It's, it's quite clever there. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. And I'm so happy you like the name. It's a, it's a play on words. Uh, it reminds me of one of my favorite Hamilton songs, Wait For It, which is sung by Aaron Burr. Ah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a lot, uh, there's a lot that he kind of conveys emotionally in the song that I really connect with in terms of feeling like you're always in a holding pattern. But in this case, it's because of my weight. Well, Ronald, you're a 30-something, almost 40-year-old Black man. Um, what made you begin like producing this very personal yet enlightening podcast about being overweight? I, in most of my work, I always want to be as honest and vulnerable as possible. And the reason why I even started audio production was because I just wanted to feel like I was being the same person all the time. You know, being a Black person in America, we do a lot of uh, code switching. And, you know, it often feels like I'm one person at work and I'm one person uh, at home. I'm one person at my job. I'm sorry, I already said my job. I'm one person at church. I'm one person with my family, et cetera, et cetera. And I always wanted to do work that kind of like brought all those consciousness together. And with Wait For It, it kind of felt like one of the most prevalent things that's always on my mind is my weight. I'm always thinking about 
how much I weigh, what I look like, how people are receiving me in nearly every interaction that I have. And I felt like I knew I wasn't the only one dealing with this. So I kind of wanted to talk to, I wanted to find a show that kind of told those stories from that perspective. And there was a lot of other shows that existed that kind of just talk about being fat more generally. Right. They kind of talk about the obstacles. They talk about, you know, maintenance phase does a lot of debunking of uh, weight myths and things like that. But I really wanted to hear some, some stories from people who are living in fat bodies or people who are just struggling with their weight, even if they're not fat. And noticing that it, it didn't really exist, I wanted to kind of fill that vacuum. Mm. Is there is there something... Like we talked about, you know, this moment in time, like to tackle this subject, but it sort of feels like, you know, like there is a body positivity movement out there. It seems kind of trendy. I mean, is that a good thing now? Uh, you know, I, I think when it started, it was. I think, you know, the intention of body positivity was really about being inclusionary and kind of thinking about folks who have been marginalized because of their weight for so long. But it's not that anymore. It's kind of changed into this, you know, kind of more toothless uh, love yourself movement, which doesn't really speak to the specific ways in which fat folks feel excluded from society at large. So if at one point we were talking about the idea of fat bodies generally existing in society, that's kind of what body positivity kind of started with. And it, it's just, it's now been co-opted by folks who, uh, one, aren't fat, and two, are not dealing with the same issues that fat folks are dealing with every day. And without that acknowledgement, I don't know if we can really call it body positivity as much as just like, you know, positivity. <laughs> just positivity. You know, I'm a black woman. You know, I grew up in the South where it seemed... You know, everybody every day, you know, they wanted you to be a homecoming queen or an azalea trail maid, you know, at the big, the big, the big parades or, you know, just something like that. And when I think about my mom and my aunties, you know, they were always kind of whispering about weight all the time. It just kind of seemed normal. But, you know, so now I find it kind of refreshing, Ronald, to hear a black man expressing some of the, the same thoughts about weight, love you know, the lack of love, the things you talk about in your podcast. I appreciate you saying that. And, you know, as a black man raised by black women who've, who've been around black women and black men, of course, I, I know about the discussions that black folks have about weight within our communities, you know, and it's, it's kind of like, it, there's this strange juxtaposition there because there is a sense of love that comes right. They from want you to be folks. pretty. They want you to be smart, especially on the outside, right? They want you to be exactly. pretty and smart. Exactly, exactly. And but the, but there's also this bit of embracing that comes from Black folks when it comes to weight, uh, i.e., being able to look at someone and look past uh, what they look like in terms of their weight. You know what I mean? Like there's there's never been any uh, shying away from from the love towards big people within the Black community. But we also get roasted a lot in, in very specific ways uh, amongst Black folks. That does still come from a loving place, but it's it's still kind of fuels that same sense of dissatisfaction that most of us have with our bodies to begin with. So it's like, you're making jokes, but 
am I actually okay in this space? Am I cool? And most times that love is there, but it's enough to make you feel uncomfortable and want to make a change uh, in a lot of ways. And I think it's the same kind of problematic nature that we see on a larger scale amongst non-Black communities when it comes to weight. Yeah, I have to toss in there some of the celebrities. I don't know um, if they've added good things to this argument and debate, you know, when it comes to especially, you know, Black people in weight, or if it's hurt or helped. And I, I can't help but think of the performer Lizzo. Yeah, I you know, I think a lot of what she's doing is great. I think, uh, and, and controversy aside, you know, recently we, we know there's been some legal uh, questions coming up about some of the treatment of her dancers with regards to weight and weight stigma, which kind of flies in the face of what she actually stood right. for. But if we just go to and talk about what she actually stood for, which was body positivity, accepting yourself, you know, uh, unapologetically being fat in front of an audience and still performing day in and day out, going on tour, doing everything that an athletic performer needs to do. Like, I think that's, that's amazing. And that's incredible. And that's something that we need to see because the ideas, uh, that we have around fat folks and what their abilities are, are so limited because of what we see in front of us and because of uh, kind of the way we're stereotyped in media as it goes forward. So it's good to see anyone that kind of disproves the stereotype. And I think Lizzo does a good job of that. I agree. I'm talking with Ronald Young Jr., host of the podcast, Wait For It, a narrative show for people who can't stop thinking about their weight. I guess thinking and talking about their weight, Ronald, um, you know, has it been easy for you talking about being overweight um, now in your life um, the way that you do? Um, and, you know, what, what have you learned about yourself in being able to express where you are right now at this point of time? It, it hasn't been easy. Uh, it, you know, it's, it's weird because I, I do it, I do it naturally. I, I naturally can kind of talk about tough subjects, uh, especially if I could kind of objectify them a little bit. And I feel like in a place where we're already talking about weight, it wasn't hard for me to be specific about my own journey. And that's what Wait For It is, is me kind of talking about my own journey and talking specifically with people about stories in their own journey. So that doesn't feel hard. Uh, what has been happening while I've been making this show is that I've been forced to reckon with where I am along my own weight journey. And the truth is, as I've been making episodes of this show, I found that I've progressed in some places further than others. And in other places, I still think about my own weight and my own image in kind of the same problematic ways that that other people do. You know, like in, in the fact that sometimes I still think about losing weight. I still think about uh, wanting to be smaller and I have to kind of interrogate why I feel that way and what I expect to get out of being in a smaller body. So I'm grappling with all of that while I'm making the show. I haven't, I, I feel like some people once described my podcast as a fat liberation podcast. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's, I don't know if that's 100% true because I don't necessarily feel like I've I've reached the goal of liberation. If we're talking about the journey of fat liberation and if we're talking about the journey of kind of emotional and existential liberation, then I would say 
that Wake Forest is is really telling the story of a man on that journey more than it is about him reaching that destination. Because I just I just don't think I'm I'm getting it right all the time, and I'm still grappling with my own psyche while producing the show. <laughs> you know, I wanted to ask you this, and then I said, no, I'm not going to ask him. But I wondered if you've actually been losing weight, not even trying to, but while doing the show. Like it's sort of like focusing on something else, you know, other than, um, you know, because you talk more than just about yourself and your life. But I said, I wonder, I wonder if he's actually losing weight or getting to a healthier point, you know, while producing this. Well, I mean, it's it's funny because like when we talk about health generally, it's. I've been like refocusing what a health goal looks like. You know what I mean? I've been trying not to attach it to the number on the scale and more like talking with my doctor and saying like, what do I need to be doing to get my blood pressure down? What do I need to be doing to get like, you know, these numbers within reason, whatever those, uh, those metrics are that we define as health. Like, what do I need to get those within reason? And when I found that I, I do I like walking every day. I like lifting weights. Uh, I've been doing a lot of push-ups recently, so I've been excited about that. Excited to tell people how many push-ups I could do in <laughs> in one uh, in one go. You know what I mean? So I've been kind of like redefining what it is to be healthy, and what I struggle with is being healthy versus looking healthy versus looking acceptable versus looking like uh, a stereotypical person who is in good health. And that has been happening while I'm doing the show, uh, this this continued journey of saying, what does that all look like for me? And I still have like kind of body goals, but I'm I'm trying to detach them from just the number on the scale because I just don't think that the number tells a full story about a person. It it just it just really doesn't. So it's tough. It's still a journey. I know I don't know if that's a satisfying answer for you. I <laughs> know I'm I'm satisfied. And also I know that when you talk about your story and your life and even bring up weight, you know, it comes from even a very a young age. You know, people were always talking about it a lot, you know, like, oh, he has a big appetite, you know, that type of thing. And so right now I'd just like to play um, another clip from um, your podcast um, that really takes a look, a big picture look at weight, especially when we think about weight and race. After my last breakup, I started spiraling even more about my physical qualities. I truly wondered if this was happening because I'm fat. I think about weight the same way I think about race. In moments of rejection or exclusion, as a Black person, race always comes up in my mind. It's a regular running background anxiety in my head. Did I not get the job because I'm Black? Are they staring at me because I'm Black? What does it mean that I'm the only Black guy here? And after a breakup, the ultimate rejection, there are similar questions, but all about my weight. Would it have happened like this to a smaller person? Did they give me a shot because of my personality and then couldn't get over how fat I was? If I weren't fat, could this have gone the distance? That's very compelling. Maybe you should tell us a little bit more. You know, it's something, it's funny because it's something that I'm thinking about now, like, uh, processing uh a breakup generally is is often what makes you do a self-evaluation you automatically start thinking about the things that you do well and what you 
might be deficient at. And for me, weight always factors in as a deficiency. And it's mostly because of the messaging that I kind of see all around me that that tells me that I'm in the wrong body and that I'm not attractive as a result. And that's kind of despite what anybody else says. I've had people say that I'm attractive. I've had, you know, women even say, even over the course of making the show, where they'll be like, hey, just to let you know that you are attractive. It's like hearing it, there's this dissonance in my mind that, and it, it's a result of what we see in society held up as attractive. And that image is never someone that looks like Ronald and never someone that looks like me. Uh, I always, <laughs> Michael B. Jordan is kind of my punching bag, <laughs> but I hear a lot of people <laughs> talk about Michael B. Jordan and like, you know, how hot he is. I don't think he's hot. He I don't think he's hot at all. <laughs> Ronald, I don't. <laughs> Thank you. No. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh -uh. That's, you know, that's the kindest thing anyone's ever said to me. Thank you Good. so much. <laughs> with, with no disrespect to Michael B. Jordan. I know he's over there probably eating a sandwich and living his life being like, why am I catching strays? <laughs> But I, I just feel like, like when that when that image is held up more often than not, or like, you know, I, and I and I hear the names and I look at the men like you know the Idris Elbas, all of that. That, that and I look at all these folks and I think I don't look like that uh, as a man, and I don't see too many men that look like me that are held up as like a an example of a person who is sexualized and desired. And because of that, it's hard not to take inventory of myself and say. I am deficient uh, as a result, even though I know there's plenty of qualities that make me a good partner and make me a uh, great in a relationship and fun to date, you know? I understand all of that. And I don't like Idris either. So I'll put that on the, <laughs> I'll put that on the record, but you know, part, part of sharing, you know, your own story and your journey and your life, you know, as someone, I don't even like to say the word fat all the time or fat or overweight, but you know, you've had to make some major crossroads and decisions. Like, for example, um, I guess trying to have this more outwardly, outwardly perfect body. I mean, you decided um, to at least consider surgery. Yeah, yeah. I've. Uh, it, it's funny. I don't know if I've ever. I've never seriously considered it, but I've thought about it. I've pondered it. You know, I've been like, what? What does that mean for me? What would that mean for my body? Uh, to do that. And mostly because there's this access. It's funny. One of my guests talk about this, Tracy Cox in uh, episode four, she talks specifically about the, the access that you have when you are thin to society in a way that you lose when you are fat. And I've seen it. I've seen like friends that have like, you know, lost weight, um, that have like, you know, had the surgery, lost a ton of weight, or if they just been in the gym, lost a ton of weight. And I've seen the way that, you know, society interacts with them and the way that they interact with society and how that changes uh, in terms of visibility, in terms of, you know, who they're dating, what rooms they're allowed into, just their access to life uh, generally. And I, I often think, man, that would be nice. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, but I also think that what would be stronger would be to destigmatize de our eyes and our minds mm -hmm. and put us in a position where no one has to change 
in order for them to not feel invisible or feel excluded from society. And that's that's kind of what I that's what I want to do with my storytelling is I just want to humanize and destigmatize and demarginalize folks who are kind of at the edges of society constantly. This is Due South. I'm Leonida Inge. I'm speaking with Ronald Young Jr. about his podcast, Wait For It. Our conversation will continue in just a moment. I'm willing to wait for it. This is Due South. I'm Leonida Inge. I'm speaking with Ronald Young Jr. about his podcast, Wait For It. Well, with your show, do you think you changed folks' lives for the better, those who listen and continue to listen? Do you think you've improved your life? And I remember hearing you say something, you know, at this age, you know, your friends, you know, they're getting married, they're in love, they're having children, they're buying a house. You know, I just want to know where you are in all of this. And hopefully this project is getting you closer to what you want. Oh, <laughs> what a question. Oh, I thought we were just going to be talking about the show. That's, such, <laughs> that's so existential. Um, you know, I'm, I'm on a journey. I'm, I'm just, I'm on a journey. And the, the one thing that I love hearing from listeners is that the show resonates with them. And when I was thinking and visioning and praying before this show came out, I really just wanted the show to be resonant with people. I wanted them to hear it, hear themselves, hear an experience, hear my experience, and have some sort of catharsis. And that's what people have been saying back. They were like, I really understand this. You were directly in my head about this. And that feels good. In terms of change, the type of change that I want to see is that destigmatization I'm talking about, that demarginalization. And in season two, we're kind of tackling uh, issues that are kind of going straight in the face of what is actually marginalizing folks. I'm currently working on an episode right now about air travel. And I really, the goal of that air, air travel is to kind of get straight size folks and fat folks to join hands and turn their uh, frustration where it needs to be turned, and that is towards the airlines, not towards one another, but towards the airlines. Give They're us, the ones who give us seats decent small. seats again. <laughs> give us decent seats yes. and, uh, and straps <laughs> or seatbelts. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, you get it. You get it. Yeah, that's what we're trying to do. So I feel like when I think about the change that I want the show to have made, I want the show to spark conversations with folks that is pushing the needle forward in terms of how we're defining fat folks and how we're seeing fat folks. I mean, just the idea of like, just thinking about, if I could get people to think about the chairs they, they provide everyone in their homes at restaurants, you know what I mean? There are some chairs that I look and I see it, I'm like, I'm not sitting in that chair. That chair can't hold up nobody. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm certainly not going to sit in that chair, but I'd love to get people thinking about those sorts of things again to say like, hey, why do we have a chair that's only rated for 150 pounds when the majority of Americans are well over 150 pounds? You know what I mean? Like, what can we do to be more inclusive of everyone around us? If I could just get folks thinking about that, I think the show is a success. You know, we've had an incident in our area where um Bishop William Barber, I'm not sure if you have heard of him. I know him. I know him well. And and how he was going to see um, the movie The Color Purple, and he brought his own chair, because and he carries a chair with him. He's a big man, 
and he brings what's comfortable, and the theater would not allow him to sit in there in his own seat. And it's um, causing a bit of a stir. And this is recent. Yeah, I remember that story. And the funny thing about that is they'll will they will cite some policy, likely. I didn't read too much into the story, but I'm I'm sure and I'm 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 speculating this is probably what happened. They cited some policy or some, you know, fire, fire risk hazard, or fire yeah. safety. Exactly. That that probably stops him from being able to use his own chair. But I I, I think what bothers me is that there's there's never any kind of grace in those situations for someone who is just trying to preserve their dignity in, in moments like this, meaning that they want to sit comfortably and watch a movie. And the thing that's stopping them from doing that is the, is the chair size. It's the chair size. And me, I go to a lot of movies. I have a movie and television review podcast, Leaving the Theater, and I sit in a lot of movie theater seats. And I have been very comfortable and I have been very uncomfortable. And I can tell you right now, if I could standardize that experience for myself, I would do it uh, immediately. And I think the easiest way to do that is through a consistent chair size and through a consistent chair rating. So for me, if I brought in my own chair in the space in which uh, disabled folks are allowed to bring in their motorized chairs, chairs, their wheelchairs, they're allowed to do that. Why would that same statue not extend to people who bring their own chairs and want to feel comfortable and sit in a space that's designated for folks with disabilities, that's designated for people who actually need some sort of accommodation there? And I think that fat folks can fall into that category sometimes. So it feels to me like there's no compassion in the rules that this theater is making. And the fact that it made the news should at least be enough for the people that are in these positions to say, what are we doing wrong? But I strongly suspect that instead they decided to make this a conversation about Bishop's weight rather than about the, the seating size and the accommodations, which is that's where the conversation needs to be fixed. Well, you're preaching now, Ronald. Maybe <laughs> maybe you need a pulpit. You know, I'm don't get me wound up. <laughs> well, I'm talking with Ronald. I'm a Pentecostal kid. You're a pen, I, yeah, I heard about. I, we're going to talk about that next. I'm talking with Ronald Young Jr., host of the podcast "Wait for It," a narrative show for people who can't stop thinking about their weight. Now, growing up. In Virginia, I know you were a military, they call it a military brat. You moved around a bit, but probably spent most of your life in Virginia. Um, you know, how was it growing up trying to, I guess, be who you wanted to be anyway? But then, you know, the church was in your ear in in many ways. And I wonder what role that played in where you are today. You know, the the church is is forever in my ear. And you know, being raised in the church and being raised by saved parents, it's it's a different experience, especially when you think about the fact that my parents were, <laughs> my parents got saved and joined the church when me and my sister were probably, she was three and I was one. So we were very, very young. And so that's all we knew of our parents. But before my parents got saved, they were the life of the party. You know what I mean? They were, they were, they loved to travel. They loved being with each other. They loved partying. They were very, very fun people. And they kind of overcorrected in a lot of ways. And it became about, you know, living this life for Christ and being a good example for us and keeping their kids away from the decisions that they thought were mistakes as we were growing up. And for so for my sister and I, Marilyn, my sister and I, we 
we end up kind of in this space that's very restrictive all the time. You know, there's not there's not much room for us to explore, to learn ourselves, to discover anything. We're kind of just kind of restricted to being focused on our relationship with God and kind of growing up to be, you know, high achievers in whatever it was that we chose. Uh, so there it wasn't. Uh, like our creativity wasn't really fostered as much in our early years, as much as when we started getting older and able to make decisions for ourselves. So I want to say like flat out, I think my parents raised me in a way that ends up being very productive because I love my relationship with God. I love my relationship with the church now. And once I got a lot of the restrictive stuff out of my purview, mm -hmm. it made it easier for me to kind of strip down my relationship and say, what do I want from a spiritual relationship specifically? And what do I want from the church specifically? And there's a lot of traditions and discipline and a truth that comes from the church that I incorporated to my storytelling, whether it be like praise and testimony service and the idea of how to construct a story or the, you know, the tradition of black gospel preaching, which is a lot in the Pentecostal church. A lot of it is, is like forged uh, ahead by the Pentecostal church, the black Pentecostal church specifically. And a lot of that rhythm and cadence is like what I see when I want to put together an episode of Wait For It or any other work that I do. So I get excited about uh, those aspects of it, but not necessarily the more restrictive aspects that kind of like held me back. And I've seen that have like, like held others back as well. But I, I mean, I it's funny because I have a complicated relationship with the church, hmm. uh, but it doesn't, there's no love law. Like I, I still love like that upbringing, but I definitely think that there needs to be some changes. Let's switch to, you know, your relationship. And what do you think about doctors? Because it was quite shocking. You know, um, I know when um, my producer said that he, you know, just listening to your story, when, when a doctor, you could, the doctor wasn't even listening to you as you spoke. He just said, you know, you just need to lose weight. And, and when you try to tell him that you've been losing weight, he just says, oh, well, <laughs> here's some other things that you need to do. I mean, I think that relationship, um, maybe not the spiritual one, but the one with the healthcare system, um, I think you're bringing out in this podcast. Yeah, that was a uh, that was a tough episode, and that was a tough ordeal because I just I, I just didn't understand why he wouldn't listen to anything that I said. Like I felt like there was when it got to the very end for me, the kind of the climax is getting to the end and him saying, "Well, you don't want to lose weight too fast," mm -hmm. and I'm just like, "What? You just spent so much time telling me." about all these options to lose weight and all these ways that I need to be doing it and all of these habits that I need to be forming. And, and I've, I'm trying to tell you that I formed those habits. I'm doing the thing. I've lost weight, all of that. And you're still looking at me and thinking, well, you need to lose more and you don't need to lose it too fast. And you need to lose the way that I tell you to lose it. Uh, and because I think ultimately for him, all he wants is for me to walk into his office and me to be thin. And for the numbers to match my thinness and for him to be like, great, you're not fat anymore. My work here is done. Next. But as long as I, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But as long as I look fat for him, it's always just going to be, there's, there's some sort of issue going on with this man. And the only way we know how to fix it is by, is by losing his, losing weight. And I mean, you've, you've heard the episode and people who've listened to it. That's the probably the one that people are reaching out to the most about. Like, man, I hated your doctor. I hated him so much. Uh, I don't identify him and I, I never will. But I think the the important part is that like 
for fat folks, this is a conversation that is being had in offices, in, in medical offices all around the United States, possibly all around the world, where we're just walking in there, minding our own business, saying, hey, I am, I don't know, I, I'm bleeding from my arm for some reason. And they're like, well, it's probably because you're fat. It has nothing to do with any of the other circumstances that got you into this office. But whatever is wrong with you, it's happening to you because you're fat, which is, I, that's just not, I don't believe that's what happens in medical school. I don't believe they go to medical school and say, hey, attach every reason for for uh, for unhealthiness to weight. Just attach it all. And I feel like this was the perfect example because I had already lost weight and he was still giving me instructions to do things that he didn't know I was already doing. And he would have known if he had just listened to me. Yes, I'm one of those that thinks she's smarter than her doctor. <laughs> I mean, literally, you know, we we can analyze and we know what we're doing and what we're not doing. And But one thing you also said, um, you said, if I could stay at, you know, at this same weight and body size that I am now and be healthy, you would. Yes, I if I... There's it, It's more than just that, though. If I could stay at the same body size and weight and be healthy, be 100%, feel 100% desired and loved and feel, uh, you know, safe and comfortable <laughs> in seats and all of that, I, I wouldn't I probably wouldn't change much. I probably would still want to go on walks every day. I'd still want to lift weights. I'd still want to do, you know, some sort of activity. I play volleyball. I'd still want to be active and doing things because it feels good to me. But I wouldn't be concerned about how many calories I'm burning, what's in and out, any of that stuff. I'd be far less concerned about any of that. And it's mostly because I just want to be accepted. <laughs> I just want to be accepted uh, by society and by the people around me. Uh, and I want people to be destigmatized and demarginalized. But it's it that feels like what I just said feels like a fantasy. Mm. <laughs> you know, it doesn't even feel real. Well, I, you know, it kind of struck me, you know, in listening to um, the podcast and the com and your conversation even today. But do you think that black women, for example, you know, seem to talk more openly about their weight than black men? And do you think that's true or do you think that's healthy or? You know, I don't, I feel like I don't know. I feel like in my experience, what I normally hear, I, I, I definitely feel that for black women and, and the circles that I've seen and observed that bigger women uh, tend to be celebrated more amongst their circles that I've seen black men <laughs> celebrated amongst their circles. But I also think that black women do a much better job of uplifting one another than most other groups generally. And I mean, across any race in terms of like being supportive and uplifting to one another, like I always, and it's almost like to a detrimental degree, the ways in which we hold up black women for kind of being the backbone of society at large. Like, why do we why do we put that burden on them? Mm. Uh, but also the ways in which that they uplift and hold each other uh, sacred is, is something that I think is amazing. So when it comes to weight, I feel like a lot of the weight problems that I hear are still all attached to aesthetic and image. Kind of just look at the way, like when we talk about like BBLs or like getting your body snatched or any of that, you know, like all of that has to do with this, um, idea of this, this desire for desirability amongst men or amongst each other that I think is the kind of the main conversation right now, 
which isn't different from the ways that I'm feeling about myself, which is that I want to be acceptable. I want to be desirable uh, in society in a very specific way. So I don't feel like those conversations are that different. And I don't know if it's happening more openly, uh, but I do know, like, I, I still feel like in in most cultures, in most societies, and especially amongst black folks, there are still ways in which we talk about weight that are harmful, that are damaging. And I just don't know that that any one group has figured out the perfect way to do it. Now we're going to really go. But I have to ask you, do you have a, a New Year's resolution? Ooh, do I have a New Year's resolution? Uh, I don't. I really don't. I have goals for the year that are all attached to like career stuff. But in terms of things I'd like to change this year, I, I, I don't really I haven't really been thinking about much. I want to change the theme for last year was kind of a rough year, went through a tough breakup and had some like, you know, personal woes that came along. So I, I the theme for that year was progress. But the theme for 2024 is forward. Uh, and in, and I and the way that is different from progress is that my goal is to move forward no matter what, even have to crawl forward, walk forward, fall forward, fail forward. As long as I'm moving forward, I'm, I'm happy. And that's kind of just the intention I have set for 2024. Well, Ronald Young Jr., thank you so much for joining me on Do South and for sharing your story. I wish you love, happiness, and moving forward in the new year. <laughs> thank you so much. I appreciate you having me. This has been great. Ronald Young Jr. is a podcast producer and host of Wait For It, a podcast from Radiotopia and PRX. He's also a regular guest on NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour. This has been Due South from North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. You can find all of our segments and shows at DueSouthRadio.org. For Jeff Tabiri, I'm Leonita Inge. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.